Hey, if you're enjoying this show, uh, consider supporting us on our Patreon. You can get cool perks like access to these episodes a week before they go public, and you can pick an album for us to review. Any support is greatly appreciated, so if you feel inclined, go to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. You're listening to Polyphonic Press, a podcast for music lovers. Join your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke, as they take a deep dive into a classic album and analyze it track by track. Hey, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm John Van Dyke. And uh, wow, it's been a while since we said that. Um, <laughs> say it's the third time. <laughs> but it's the third time today because we've been running tests. It's just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's been a while since you've heard that. Yes. Guess, is what I want to say. Um, so, and it's just because life happened, but it feels great to be back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this time I think it's going to work out because we're not trying to do this as a job or anything like that. This is really just for fun. Yep. Yeah. That's the way you might have to do it. I mean, chasing, I'm nothing against those who managed to get a career. Um, how you did it, I don't know, but, uh, it takes the pressure off. Um, it's just easier to get going and there's and and you can avoid the burnout so exactly yeah. so uh for those of you who don't know us um we've known each other since we were kids uh since we were like seven or eight years old something like that and um we both kind of grew up with uh parents who were had interesting taste in music uh i remember my dad had this uh well he had a CD collection, and then I discovered his cassette collection, mm -hmm. and there was a whole bunch of stuff in there from, like, the, like, he grew up in the 70s, he was a teenager in the 70s, and into his 20s in the late 70s, so there was a lot of, like, uh, new wave stuff in there. Okay. There was, late like, 70s, Elvis, early 80s, yep. Yeah, there was, like, uh, the B-52s, Elvis Costello, um, the Knack. Oh, yeah. Uh, things like that, that I grew up on, and then there was... I see CDs. I, one of my earliest memories is listening to Radar Love, that song. Mm -hmm. And I know you had a similar experience. Yeah. Um, my, my dad's record collection was a very prominent presence in our house. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have it within uh, the, the walls of my apartment here. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a fairly big collection. But uh, my dad was a, a musician in the late 70s. So, uh, he well, I mean, he was a musician all his life but he was a touring musician in the late 70s so that's what he was doing at that time um so yeah so there was all stuff like that was all over the place when i was growing up so long story short we both come from uh a long line of music geeks i guess yeah and uh so that kind of leads us into how this show is going to work and one of the uh Technology has kind of allowed us to do this, really, because I don't think we really could have done the show this way even a few years ago, because how this show is going to work is we're, we're going to uh, be reviewing classic albums, just uh, albums that we know, that we're familiar with, albums that we have never heard before, artists that we've never heard of before. Yeah. And 
with Spotify, we pretty much have every recorded song at our fingertips, give or take a few. There's, I've noticed a few gaps, but that's okay. Yeah. So there's a book out there called The 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. And I thought, I always had this, there, and there's, there's different iterations of this book. There's ones for like films you have to see before you die. There's ones for, uh, I think, books you have to read before you... There's a whole bunch of others. One for, for restaurants, because that could be a little expensive. <laughs> <laughs> there might be. Um, Not that I wouldn't try it, but at least right. some of them. Yeah. But uh, those books are... And, and I always had that idea in the back of my mind. It would be cool to do a podcast. And I actually... I never thought of it for albums. I thought of it for movies. I thought, you know, I, I don't know... I haven't seen a lot of movies, so I, it would be cool to just randomly flip to a movie, watch the movie and give my initial reaction to it. Mm. But I thought it would be cool to do uh, albums this way. So how it's going to work is we actually have no idea what album we're going to review. And I've uh, made a, um, a bit of a, uh, I, I, uh, you programmed a randomized, um, right. Yes. And I've actually, there's more albums in there than what's in the book. Cause I've, I've pulled uh, different album lists from different sources, and I added a few albums of my own okay, uh, cool. that I would like to review, and I'll get John to write out a list of Sweet. his favorite albums so he can contribute to that as well. Um, something I probably should have done before I recorded. I thought of it, but I never mentioned it, but we'll do it. It's, first um, pilot it's the first episode, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, um, and so Spotify is, you know, we can just listen to the album there. Whereas before we would have had to seek out the album on CD or record or something else, um, that was not exactly legal. And, <laughs> uh, but now, now that Spotify Wax and technology cylinder. is kind of, yeah, <laughs> is, uh, as, uh, caught up with us, um, it just allows us to, uh, to do the, uh, the show this way. So, uh, so without any further ado, let's get into it. Let's click the button. We have no idea what album's going to come up. Let's click the button and see what happens. Alrighty then. Are you ready? I don't know. I got to brace myself. No, it's good. Fine. Whatever. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. You too, the Joshua tree. Okay. It, interesting. Okay. I'm, um, I'm sort of familiar with this album. So how this is going to work is we're going to just play the album and just talk about each track as it comes up. Okay. I think so, there's a few hits on there I'm certain, certainly familiar with. Yeah. Oddly enough, U2 wasn't a huge presence in our house. So the first track is uh, Where the Streets Have No Name. And I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with this song, and I think you probably are too. Yep. Okay. So uh, let's get into it. Actually, always, I always like that song. And, uh, I mean, The Edge has such a unique guitar tone. He uses the pedals to, like, manipulate the tone. 
Yeah. I mean, he still uses the guitar as a guitar by like changing the uh, the the notes, and uh, still he has a certain amount of a pattern that he uses. But he does most of his manipulation with the pedal board, and it's actually cool. That that's not a that's not me cutting him up or anything like that. It's a very creative use of his equipment. Yeah, and nobody else did it before he did like that. No, so. no, and. I, I have you ever seen that documentary of uh, um with it was him Jimmy Page and, and Jack, Jack White. White? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, big fan of all three, and yeah, uh, it might get loud. That's a great one. Yeah, and, I people commented on that and uh, saying that oh, he's not a real guitar player exactly because he uses <laughs> he he only plays a few notes, but that's not the point. The, the the point of playing guitar, it doesn't matter how many notes you play. the The thing is, does it sound good, or it's, or or not necessarily? Does it sound good? Is the sound? Are you making the sound that you want to make? Right, exactly. Um, I mean, as much as I love a really technical player, um, a player that has neat ideas. I mean, there's players with feel. Like, I'll take a Stevie Ray Vaughan over an Ingvi Malmsteen any day. Um, yeah, I'm not knocking Ingve. He's a very talented guitarist. He's just a little too uh, static. I, I, he's a little too um, his, his mechanical to me. Mechanical and intellectual. Yeah, well, and... I don't mind a little bit of intellectual, but I love the feeling in there too. I just don't get it with guitarists like that. And but the edge brings it in another way. I mean, it's definitely mechanical because it's again a machine doing a lot of the work, but he's there's still like the human input behind the initial signal. So he's manipulating it from that end. So whatever's going through his looping and, and uh, you know, echoes and repeating and, and, and just feedback loops is still has that initial human input when it exactly. goes into it. And uh, yeah, it's, I, it's totally legitimate. I mean, there's no, Learn the rules before you break them, and that's what he did. Exactly. And the thing that I always uh, like about you too is they are a band. They're not a musical project. So right. the guitar player is the one who is creating all these outrageous sounds. Yeah. But you still have the bass and the drums mm -hmm. that Holding. are being played by humans. They're not, it's not a drum machine and a bass loop. Yeah. It's a bass player and a drummer, Larry Mullen and Adam Clayton. Yeah. So the, and, uh, one thing I noticed on this track is th those two play really well together. Yes. Um, they're a very solid rhythm section. Yeah. Sometimes they're a little bit back in the mix, but yeah, they're, they're there and they're still essential. Yeah. And uh, the thing that about that sets them apart from a lot of bands in the eighties, think about other new way. I don't, I don't know if I would consider, uh, no, they were their own thing. You two really. new wave or anything. But they, they were their own new wave, but it wasn't in, it was only parallel with new wave. It wasn't, it really didn't fit in with that sound. They sound nothing like the cars. They sound nothing like Elvis Costello, you know? Yeah. It's their own thing. Exactly. And, um, what sets them apart from a lot of bands in the eighties, think about like a lot of the pop music you hear from the eighties. It's very machine driven. It's drum machines. There and it's a lot, lot of, of DX7s forced upon us. DX7s and stuff. <laughs> and, and a lot of it is because it was new. And yeah. it's the producers are like, ooh, a new toy to play with. Um, yeah. So, what that, um, what sets them apart from a lot of other bands is, yeah, you have the Edge creating all these sounds that 
okay, they they can they, they're very distinct of the decade. The, I mean, the guitar has a lot of uh, chorus and um, a lot of delay, which is very popular popular in the eighties. Yeah, but the gated reverb isn't there. And, exactly, and, and actually, the guitar with its really um, heavy delay on it and stuff like that sounds more timeless like that. Like I wasn't aware of this sound until, well, I probably didn't hear it until the nineties. So I don't associate it automatically with the eighties. When I found out it was recorded, uh, but this eight, this album came out, what? 81 or something? Uh, like 87. 80, oh, this one is a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I know they were doing stuff in the early eighties and, and even the late seventies, yeah. but I think the edge found that sound. Anyway, I was surprised to hear it was as old as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and because yeah, to to me like that gated reverb is just so uh, it's nineteen eighties. It's, it's gonna have very gated distinct. Reverb. Yeah, and and of course for a lot of us it drives completely batty. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I've heard I'd, it done well. It, it I've it heard can it be used well. Yeah, but it, I think a lot the problem with the eighties it was done on pretty much everything exactly, and it just it just got boring and tired and yeah, all that. Um, so the edge is creating these um, uh. I guess not, I guess superhuman sounds. Uh, It doesn't sound like a person playing an instrument. It doesn't really even sound like a guitar. Uh, And that's the point of it. But to contrast that, you have the bass and the drums and the the vocals, the very dry vocals, especially for the 80s. Yes, that's that's Um, another thing, yeah. And a lot of that is the production from Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois, who both co-produced this record. One thing that's interesting that I didn't notice, and I think maybe there was a radio edit of this song, but the vocals actually don't come in until like two minutes into the song. It's true. Um, you would not have heard that on the radio being no. that extended. I mean, probably because half the time the, the, the radio announcer or the DJ or whatever wouldn't know if the song was on until it's already like, you're already like 30 seconds into it. It's just, yeah. Is it on? Is it playing? Oh shit! I'm speaking during it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and you would never do that today. No. Either. I mean, radio. You would never hear. You would never have that much of a gap with just instruments and no vocals in a yeah. song that that would came, come out today. You that would you would just never have that. Well, so that would. I mean, and and that's sort of a shame. I mean, I get it if it's like really quiet. I kind of get that. Yeah, there, there's no instrumental hits anymore. No. So, yeah. Um, and the other thing, too, uh, that I... Obviously, Bono is uh, an amazing singer. Uh, and he, But the thing is, he's, he doesn't have, like, a huge voice. No. But the, it, he, he has a lot of feeling in his voice, mm-hmm. which I prefer. I, I don't... I, I prefer singers who um, have feeling it's like going back to the guitar playing thing it's yeah. the same thing with vocalists i'd rather hear someone with feeling than someone who can technically hit all the correct notes uh you know how auto-tune and what how auto-tune it fixes in quotations um vocals um in some cases okay for some singers maybe it does fix for us other singers it it doesn't you, you it, it's a crime to to put that on there because and he he was actually using um like harmonies as an example and if um or even just double tracking actually is more specific so if you're going to record a singer and you want to double track them if you auto-tuned both of those parts you wouldn't hear 
you you would barely hear it being two voices. Right. It would sound like the same voice over again. You need that uh, dissonance between the notes. You need one to be a hair sharp and maybe yep. the other one a hair flat or something to be able to pick apart and, and actually hear if there's two voices or not. And that exactly. adds the interest, that adds the sound, it adds the humanity. And it doesn't sound like it's out of tune. No, because it's not really out of oh, tune. Uh, it's not even a semitone off. It's no. a few cents. Yeah. But getting back to the song as an album opener, I think it really works as a as a way to open up the album, especially with that that slow build of the intro. Yeah. That's a really cool way to open up the album. That's uh dynamics. Or yeah. um Yeah, dynamics. Uh, yeah. You need that. So, Maybe let's we should get into, move on to the next track. <laughs> yeah, I was say, let's get into the next song. Uh the next one is I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which is <laughs> another song. Hit that uh, I know. So let's hear that. songs don't fade out as uh, anymore yeah they don't that was that was really a 70s and 80s thing yeah it's true um yeah they don't tend to do that well and some i mean a lot of people used to say that that sounded like really lazy um <laughs> producing but honestly yeah. it yeah it sort of depends i mean it's nice to write an intro but sometimes it actually gives it sort of a feel if you let it sort of just play out like, like the band jam and then turn down the volume while they're yeah. playing um yeah you know, that had a pretty good groove to it. That really did. Yeah. The, like the the dr- the way the bass was just going, just kind of thumping along. Yep. That just it's just that hypnotic yep. sound. And again, it's it's not. It's done by humans. There's no beat correction. There's no time yeah. correction or anything like that. So you have that. It's not a. It's not perfect. It's gro- it, like you said. It's grooving. Yeah, you know, I I think uh, these the the two guys, Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen, the, the drummer and the bass player. I don't think they get they don't they really don't get, get enough credit as as a solid. Like, no, it's true. Or or just in general yeah. as um in in terms of talking about music, I think they kind of get overlooked. Mm. But they really are one of the a really great rhythm section. I think that just comes with because they've been playing together for so long exactly i mean they're they're like 10 years into their career at this point so. i mean if you've got uh um a good a sign of a, a great band i mean there are some bands that, that sometimes can get away with it um but if you got a drummer and a bass player that seem to always be there and after a little while you'll notice that they're they're lock in step because they just know what each other are gonna do yeah um you know unless yeah i mean yeah. Look at uh, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. Mm-hmm. I mean that. I think uh, I, I I know um, Mike Campbell uh, joined Fleetwood Mac, and I I saw a, a, an interview with him, and it is true: is they are probably the longest running uh, rhythm section in rock and roll history. I would say so. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, because uh, um, oh. What's the name? The, Original basis for the Stones. He's not there anymore. Bill Wyman. Yeah, he, he quit he in, left like in like ninety five or something. Two, I think. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you got, uh, Sloan, that's another, like, no changes in that band line, line up for 30 years now. Yeah. Um, 
let's Tom yeah, Petty let's talk got away with it. It's it's yeah. funny. Tom Petty got away with it when he replaced uh, Ron Blair with um uh I can't think of his name. Sorry, names but, are escaping me. Uh, Howie Epstein. Howie Epstein, thank you. Um Yeah, well that was that was a whole other thing because well uh I mean Stan Lynch was such a unique drummer. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about how U2 has managed to keep its original lineup from their first album up to now. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty amazing and very rare. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, their original line, line, uh, the original lineup going back to what, when the band formed, which is like, well, I, th- I think they I think were they together. Maybe changed, but, but since the first album, you're right. Um, for, I think the first album was in 1980 or 81. Yeah. So already that's, uh, 40 years. That's 40, 40 plus years. years. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I think, honestly, this, I, I really honestly believe that the way to keep a band together is to split the money evenly. <laughs> it really is. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. Try to encourage each other to sort of bring an equal amount of, uh, you know, uh, output to the band, input to yeah. the band. Um, man, I'm just thinking, you know, back to that uh, rhythm section thing. It's a, uh, I was thinking just how how incredible Cream could have been if only um, uh, Ginger Baker and uh, Jack Bruce could get along. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they couldn't stand they each other so well for too, too long, and they were amazing even for the what they were around for two years really on top like to top it out. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were always at each other's throats. Yeah. And. Oh man, but I mean, even before Cream, they were uh, with um, the Grand, Grand Bond, Bond organization, and that's how they were. They still didn't like each other then either. No, <laughs> so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but uh, um, I'm just looking at uh, on Wikipedia here, and uh, Brian Eno had a, has a songwriting credit. Bono has two writing credits. Yep, just him. But the rest of the writing credits are credited to U2, mm-hmm. which means that the whole band is sharing songwriting credits, which means they're splitting the money evenly. Yep. And I think that's honestly the way to do it. I think that's the way you keep a band together. Yep. Because the two examples, like you said, Sloan, that's mm-hmm. how they do it. Um, U2, I think Coldplay does the same way. And I, think, I don't think anybody's quit from then. I might I, be wrong about that. Yeah, I'm not really 100% sure uh, um, about, you know, the band dynamics or anything. I'm really not an expert on, on Coldplay, but I do know that they've, uh, they get a lot of their, they certainly get a lot of their inspiration from U2, and it wouldn't surprise me if they've taken like sort of a band dynamic ideas be- from U2, because why not? It, it works, so you know, if you've got a perfect example of what you want to do in front of you, sound-wise, and you realize it worked like for a very long time with them, it might not be not a bad idea to find out why. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I can't knock them for that one. No. Yeah. I, I, I honestly believe that's the secret to keeping your band together is just split everything. Have the, have the, I think maybe have the, the band be the company or entity and have all the revenue come through that. And then everybody gets what they get. Yep. But uh, let's get into the next song, which I think is another hit, yep. uh, With or Without You. That's three for three. Three for three. <laughs> right, I mean, that's a strong intro to an album. Three hits. Yeah. She makes me wait. 
and that song's been in you know hundreds of movies and yeah, I know that radio. song. Yeah, I've it, heard that song all my life. Yeah, it's a good one. I um, I know it uses the that chord sequence that gets made fun of a lot, but yeah. I don't. I I don't actually have a problem with songs using that chord sequence. Not really. Um, some. Yeah, there's. It's. I mean, if there's so many things you can do with it, like the song structure around it is still very very different. I mean, even though you can use the same chords. And there's, honestly, there's only so many <laughs> to yeah. use. I mean, people invent things all the time. and People are going into, like, multi-tone or microtonal stuff, and you know, which I've only heard used well. On a, like, I can count them on my one hand. Yeah. Uh, King Gizzard and Lizard was, like, the number one band that I think actually uses it well. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it's true. I mean, that, that chord... Uh, it, it it's very used, but if if you've got the the song like the melody flying over top of it is is so different enough, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you can't um, you know, and 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 again, I think lots of people have have made this uh, argument before, but mo everything is somewhat derivative. I mean, even if you're not conscious about it, something is influencing you when you create something new. You've heard right. something or seen something or tasted something. And it's giving you the idea of what to, what things to put together to do whatever. Exactly. Is, I mean, look, a lot of bands get compared to the Beatles because course. they essentially are the blueprint for a lot of modern rock bands, the Beatles mm -hmm. and the Rolling Stones. You, um, but they they didn't do everything original either. Of course I not. mean, they, they have influence. They like Paul McCartney, especially in the early days. Paul McCartney's voice is very much influenced by Little Richard. Yeah. Um, and they were playing and, rock and roll hits. That was their yeah, first exactly. few albums. It was like half, at least half, um, you know, covers and stuff like yeah. that. And the, the originals sounded like those songs. Yes, too. it's true. <laughs> you know? Um, so, so uh, no, yeah, nothing. And then, you know, those influences were imitating someone else. And then mm -hmm. those were imitating something else. It just goes back further and further and further. So it's just, um, so to be completely original or to try and be completely original is, it's like, why? What's it's kind of a futile attempt. I mean, exactly. you can come out and you can sound really strange even, but you're not the first person to come out and sound really strange so that's also been done <laughs> good grief you've got john cage um his what was it four something or other time it's basically 433 or something like that i can't remember yeah. and it's just that amount of time of dead silence i mean once he's done that what can you do that's actually like new new not been done so, exactly <laughs> and even then silence isn't exactly new he's just pick a time and recorded it yeah <laughs> so it's i mean it's in class it's called a rest yes really <laughs> it's just a really long rest um, um i think he i think his is actually a bunch of rests but yes. yeah um yeah. i'd like to uh point out that uh, in that song i noticed when it was starting up uh you could hear the ebo um sound in there yep. and, and back to that sort of like imperfection is perfection sort of thing I heard the signal drop out a couple times on, on his guitar as he's playing it, and you can sort of hear where it sort of cuts or, or something like that. And you don't necessarily want to fix all that. You don't necessarily want it to be one continuous note or 
you know, a, a perfect sequence of whatever. It's those little imperfections that sort of give it almost like a natural feel. It's a completely like electronic, unnatural effect, but it's but it gives it that um, you know, that that feel to it, and, and it just uh, you don't want to fix all that. Exactly, and and people. Uh, People who don't necessarily know a lot about music will say, well, why do you care? What, what difference does it make? And my argument is you notice it, you might not even be aware of it. You might not even be conscious of it, but someone who doesn't know much about music and they just hear music and they like what they like and they don't like what they don't like, whatever it matters to them, even though they might not be aware of it, they might not know why something sounds off. Yeah, but they know that something sounds off, or this this song is interesting to me. I can't under I, you know, with or without you is interesting to me. I can't really tell you why it's interesting, but it's a, an interesting song. And maybe it's because of those imperfections, but they they're not conscious of it, but they're picking it up on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. It, it's amazing how uh, all these very and and U two is a very polished sounding band, and but I mean polished without sound you know being auto-tuned and and, uh, beat detected to death right it's still a very polished sound but it still sounds organic exactly um and it's because they allow whatever happens in the studio to happen they get a good take and but there's just little things that you know you can't control and you don't want to control at all i mean that's where the magic happens right and also you notice how the song structure is so simple but that's not a bad thing either it's right. it, it's a really an exercise in how space like playing between the notes where the music yeah. actually in a lot of cases happens um and you can really uh, in this song actually showcases the the, the um uh the uh, rhythm section a little bit higher i noticed mm-hmm. like you can really make out the bass and the drums come into it. it's a little bit higher in the mix in parts yeah that's really cool and i noticed on this song there was a lot more reverb Yes. And I think that that was obviously a, a choice mm-hmm. to give the song more space. Yep. Because there's so few instruments happening. Like, like there's, there's a, that... a large S. But exactly. yeah, without filling in all the, like with playing, you're letting it sort of like flow together. Like it's like taking like painting like a circle and then putting like, with like water paints or something like and you put water on it and it sort of blurs it out and then you paint another circle and you do the same thing and when they bleed together it's still just the two circles but there's a the the wash together sort of gives it like this sort of gradient effect mm-hmm. um and that's basically what they're doing with the sound and that's what the echo and the and the reverb is doing so yeah and i was and this song is uh what i was just reading about it and what it's about is um, Bono's inner conflict with being, because at this point I th- he was married. I don't know if he has a kid or at this point, but he's married. And his inner conflict with being a domestic husband, mm. but also being a touring musician and the lifestyle that comes with that. And from his vocal performance to the, the, just the the lyrics the, the lyrics don't come right out and say it. He's saying all this all in metaphors. Yes. Um, but the vocal performance and uh, the instrumentation, the way that, like we said, the, the the minimal instrumentation, lots of reverb, giving it space. 
that like the the sentiment of the song it, like everything just fits with that sentiment the way it um kind of builds up his vocal performance gets more intense towards the end yeah um that just all fits together with that that sentiment as well as the buildup of the drums because the drums get a lot heavier like mm-hmm. it, it, you can almost like sort of graded on on a perfect graph going up um you know the drums start out very quiet and as it gets to the end they're really pounding away and the bass is no different it's just carrying along and and they're in lockstep with each other so exactly so um moving on so this uh, i was just reading a bit about this album and that song was actually from uh doesn't fit in with the overall theme of the album that was actually written uh for the previous album but oh. this this record apparently the overall theme it's not a concept record no. or anything like that but the overall theme is you two at this point had toured uh, uh america quite extensively and the idea the the working title of the album was two americas so the and it's joshua tree if you don't know is actually a, a national park in california it's actually where people go they'll to smoke peyote you know, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever psychedelic, your psychedelic of choice. Um, Choose your poison. Yeah. Right. Hang out in the desert. Try not to die. (laughs) But they, they have these, I don't, I don't know if these, they're, they are called Joshua trees and I don't know if they grow anywhere else in the world. Um, I'm not sure. They, it seems to be just the, the, the elements are just right for these types of trees. I don't know if there's like another place that grows them. I know they're very, they're very protected. They're um, mm-hmm. they're protected species. I think it is actually a, a, a huge fine, at least maybe yeah. even prison time if you like kill one. So. Yeah. Um. So I think that title is like a uniquely American thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the idea of the album was the 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 mysticism or romanticism of America. The uh, this is the land of opportunity, a land of freedom and all that. While that's happening, there was also, this is in the eighties and Ronald Reagan was in charge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, we've, we basically just went through Reagan 2.0. Um, <laughs> sort of. Uh, he's a little different. <laughs> a little different. Yeah. But, but, but essentially the same. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's, it's the, it's the idea of the 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 idealistic version of America and the reality of America. So now I think, given the title of this next track, Bullet the Blue Sky, I think we're going to hear a little bit of that. So I'm curious to hear what that song is all about. Mm-hmm. So, without further ado, this is Bullet the Blue Sky. It's definitely a bit of a different, uh, um, what would you say? It's a definite approach. It kind of sounds a bit like U2, but, uh, it, it sounds like the U2 playing the part of a different band. Like the fact, I think the, the primary thing that 
really changes the dynamic is the fact that that key echo thing that we were already talking about with the edges playing is mm. com- been completely re- replaced by you know a roaring slide guitar it's a very different approach for the u2 yeah but it's still uh, it still makes sense of course with them and you know what i i actually my immediate reaction was this sounds like nirvana it kind of does. Yeah, this is when it's starting to sound a bit like grunge. Yeah. Yeah. Could be especially the the snare drum like I that mm. that ringing snare drum. Yeah. is like it 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 almost is breaking my brain right now the fact that that sound existed in 1987. Yeah. When I associate it with like 1996 ska punk. Yeah. That um, sound you know what actually that song really reminded me of? It reminded me of the Tragically Hip. Like, take yeah. out Bono and put in Gord Downey. And yeah. Yeah, that's a very Tragically Hip sounding song. Um, very much so. And, and it's before they were really a like known thing. They, I think their first album came out in 87, but this was their second album that was their breakthrough. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and very fitting with the theme of the album, uh, especially with some of the lyrics, I couldn't actually quite make out a lot of what he was saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like this is obviously the, the sentiment I, that I got with it is there because the, the drums and the bass again are very tight, very solid, but the guitar sounds very disjointed and angry and yeah. pissed off and, um, upset, and upset. Exactly. Yeah. So the the contrast between the two is is very like very fitting with the theme of the two Americas, the idealistic, very put together mm-hmm. America, and then the the reality of how crappy it really is. It can be, yeah, for some, you know. for sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so the next song is uh, uh, running to a stand, running to stand still. So let's hear that one. song first started i wasn't sure about it but as it went on i found myself slowly getting drawn in by it Um, and just kind of hypnotized by it yeah i i i I sort of knew what you meant but i I think the uh the slide acoustic caught me again again it's it's you too you don't necessarily expect slide guitar you don't really expect uh, acoustic guitar you don't expect both, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, so that that actually hooked me, and I'm I I was thinking, you know, this is um, you know, it, it it's starting out slow, but that's all right. A lot of their songs have this build up, and this one did that at the same time. It went up, and then it sort of arched. It kind of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the the headstock of a Gretsch. So it just kind of curves up, and then humps over, and then curves back down. It was sort it was of. a journey. Yeah, it was a story. The cool I was the this is this is how good of a band that they are. Mm-hmm. So the lyrics to this song were worked the structure on, of the song. They they do yeah, subject matter does for sure. 
running lyrics, to stand still. Yeah. So the lyrics were um, painstakingly worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about uh, two heroin addicts yep. in uh, Dublin, which is where the band is from. There's this apartment building that's notorious for drugs. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a fictional tale of a couple who are addicted to heroin living in this building. Yeah. So the lyrics are worked on, uh, just, you know, they worked on the lyrics, uh, Urbano did anyway, but the instrumentation was completely improvised. Okay. They set up in the studio and they hit record and that's what happened. Mm. So it was completely in the moment, not rehearsed. Wow. They didn't know what they were going to do. That's how good of a band they are. That's how well they play off of each other. Yeah, they just kind of knew each other. I mean, it it was sort of a simple enough concept, but still to pull it off the way they did is... Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's that, you know, perfection within imperfection sort of thing again. Um, they, they just, again, let whatever happens in the studio happens. And so long as it's a good take, they don't really need to fix much. And just let the little things be the little things. Um, it's a sort of a laissez-faire, but honestly, it takes a lot of discipline to get to that point. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. And and they probably they couldn't do that on their first album. Probably not. There's no, no way they could. That just that's just them playing together for so long. They 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 get to that level of nonverbal musical communication. They can have a song where it's all the instrumentation is completely improvised and they know exactly where each other is going. Yeah. And that's, that's the mark. That's just the mark of a great band, whether you like their music or not, they're, they're a great band. Yeah. They play so well to Absolutely. Uh, with each other. I, I've got to say, they're not one of my favorite bands, but I no. appreciate them. And yeah, yeah, this album, I agree. This is a good album um, yeah. in, in its essence. Absolutely. And, and I, I the thought just hit me that I would pick one other band to sort of be like a contemporary of theirs for their time. I mean, there's lots of bands that sort of came out, but you could say that they were sort of uh, influenced by um, U2 because they had their own thing. But I'd say a band that sort of like followed sort of in, in, in the same vein, they're really not exactly the same, and they're not even from the same place, but I'd say R.E.M. was like the closest thing to being yeah. this the same genre if you can even call it that yeah i knew you were gonna say that yeah, yeah i i i yeah They're, that's um actually it's funny because you two and rem get compared a lot yeah um that doesn't surprise me at but all. yeah um yeah but yeah no i agree and and the thing is that that people the people that uh, people say about those two bands is no two albums really sound the same and yet it always sounds like them. Like yeah. U2 doesn't sound like REM and no. REM doesn't sound like U2, but you can see the similarities mm-hmm. and it's always distinctly them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And, and again, Michael Stipe and Bono's singing, uh, they, they, they sound nothing. If you just put them in a room, you know, on their own and just recorded them separately and then said, this is like, these two bands are, are what I would call a similar genre. And you go, what the hell? This guy's Do basically kind of like mumbling and he's just kind of like spouting off random things here. And, and this guy's singing his heart out over here. They sound nothing alike. Just yeah. yeah, but you didn't hear them in their context. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's amazing how a band can sound so different and yet sort of have come off with the same it's a vibe they yeah. put out a similar vibe one band's from georgia and the other one's from ireland and yet they've got this and and separately they sort of created the same vibe by doing different sounds really it's interesting how how that sort of came about um art's weird man yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So let's uh, get into the next one. This is uh, called Red Hill Mining Town. There's no going back to hands of steel and heart of stone. Our day has come So Red Hill Mining Town, that um, is almost a country song. Well, uh, yeah, sort of. kind of. Uh, I don't know if it's fair to say. Um, I felt like so far that's the weakest song yet. Um, it's not a bad song. I wouldn't say it was a throwaway, but it's not up to the same standard as everything that's come before so far. No. Um, but that's, I mean, not everything can be, you know bang, bang, bang out of the gate for, you know, vast whopping majority of stuff. Um, but yeah, it seemed to, to, to sort of chug along and it didn't capture my attempt tension the same as, as the other ones did. Um, yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, it's not quite a throwaway, but it's one of, it's sort of a, a dip in the middle of the album. Yeah, it's, I uh, I'm, I thought, uh, again, guitar part, there was sort of an interesting sort of like, finger pick sort of sound to it and i guess that's where they're trying to allude to a little bit of a um that that sort of country feel um and i get that and and again they're trying to keep a like a the 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 theme of like a wide open space around them sort of thing because again coming from well you know england and really any other place in what you know could be the european union yes i know they've left the european union but uh, every like America looks so big, everything's just like there's so much extra space, um, mm-hmm. and the, you, people from other, you know, from more populated or more concentrated populated countries. That's what they're always talking about. It's just they're they're blown away by how long it gets to get from one city to another. Sometimes the cities can be packed, but it takes there's a lot of space in between, <laughs> and you can. They're trying to get that sort of sound from, you know, their perspective. That's what it sort of feels like being in that country to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, country music, I guess, from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. It wasn't, uh, it's like you said, it's not a bad song. Yeah. Just not, it's not, it's not a, a song that stands out to me. Yeah. That's fair. So I want to get into the, the, we only have a few songs left, so I don't want to spend too much time. Uh, so I want to uh, get to the next one. This is a song called In God's Country.
bad song. Not mm. the best song on the no, album, but 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 again, I think it beat uh, Red Hill Mining Town. I think it's it's better than that one, and yeah. I think maybe it's just because there's a lot more energy going on in it. Um, and uh, the rhythm section had 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 some time to shine in it as well. Um, this actually sounds more like early U two. Yeah. Um, think the songs like. Uh, New Year's Day. Uh, I don't know if you know that song, but I think so. Uh, this this sounds very similar to that. It's funny because I was just reading about the song, and uh, this is probably probably the band's least favorite song. Interesting. Uh, it it's structure. It's funny. We were talking about how they weren't really like a new wave band. That song sounds almost like it could have been in sort of like a new wave, maybe even sort of a punkish structure um, yeah. for them. Uh, well, they said, uh, what was it here? They said, um, they knew it was not going to be one of their best songs, but they needed a more up-tempo song for the album. Uh, developed out of Bono's frustration at, try, quote, trying to get uh, a bit of rock and roll out of The Edge. Um, Bono tried to inspire The Edge by teasing and playing on his competitive instincts by claiming to be a better guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how well Bono can play. I mean... I, he, I've seen him definitely play, uh, you know, rhythm, you know, in con, in context to him, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but he was he was saying that to try and yes. get something out of <laughs> oh, the edge. It was like uh, a dick move. I, yeah. I hope it worked though. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, um, Daniel Lanois called the called it was recorded in the Edge's uh, basement studio. Okay, and. Daniel Lanois said it was a muggy little room where everything sounds dead. Not a particular, not a particularly inspiring place. It's it's funny. It's weird that the band feels that way about this song, and maybe it's just because it does sound like early U two, and it's like okay, we're just we're just flexing our muscle at this point. We're not really doing anything new. We're just that maybe. I think it. Yeah, it's partly like how they went into it. Like again, it's it's really hard to change. I mean, when you're a listener listening to something for the first time, um, you know, it's all new, it's all fresh to you. Whatever you're feeling in that moment will often be, you know, how you feel about that thing in many cases. That can sometimes alter over time. But when you're the band who's actually producing it, you there's there's hours of preparation going into this thing, and it's really hard if it's tainted in in any way it's really hard to break that i mean something yeah. amazing has to happen with it in order to sort of break that and clear that the song it just didn't happen because again mm -hmm. it's a it's a in quotations throwaway track on the album it's not really yeah. a throwaway it's again i think it's better than the previous uh low point yeah i, I think it's actually decent i don't mind it at all no, no, it's it's a good song, but I, I, I can understand where they're they're coming from with yeah. that. It's just like we, we know this is this isn't new territory for us. We're not this is kind of uninspired. Um but you know, at the same time, I've I've watched a documentary enough documentaries on the makings of albums and read books and stuff. Writing songs and making albums and recording and getting all the sounds right, it's hard. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> and, yeah. And to to Put it a collection of ten songs together that you got, you all... got four moody uh, artists in a room, yeah. <laughs> and you have to make them all uh, get along and not long enough to put out, you know, ten or whatever songs. 
Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's not the easiest thing no. in the world. And, you know, people listen to albums and, or with any uh, medium, whether it's, uh, you know, movies or uh, music or whatever, people don't understand the amount of work that goes into it and how hard it all, all of it is to put it to mm-hmm. all together. Um, so, you know, as a fan, you might, this might be your favorite song on the album or it's n- I'm, I'm not saying it's your favorite song, but it, you know, it might yeah. be one of someone's favorite song. It could be. It's good enough it, that it could be someone's. Song. Yeah. It could mean something to somebody. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, also, I think like the fact that it sounds like early U2, sometimes it's nice to know that a band can go back to their roots if they want to or need to or whatever. It's just nice to know sometimes that they can just like, yeah, yeah. we can still do that. Because oftentimes you'll hear a band and they go through, you know, they change. And, and I love it when a band evolves, but when it's good. But, and sometimes it gets to a point where a, a lot of these bands are like, it's almost, they're impossible to do what they want to do. Whether they want to or not, they can't get there again. Whether mm-hmm. it's, they, there's too much technical knowledge that they can't have that naivety that they needed before. Um, it's some, I mean, that's just one way to do it. I think that's a... a, a a primary example because lots of bands start out being yeah, I don't know what the hell I'm doing I'm just in here and then the other times they're you know 10 years later they come back and they're seasoned veterans so two different and sometimes they just can't get that old spark back yeah sometimes they're jaded veterans and then they really can't get that old spark back yeah um but yeah yeah I know I so many bands go through yeah. that I don't know if you two I don't know much about you two's career they might have gone through I mean, this is still, this is still what I would call their, like their peak. And this is early on in their, this, for this being like, look back on 10 years of what we're playing and go back. This is still like relatively within the past 40 years, fairly early in their career. (laughs) But this is a peak as well. Uh, There's lots of people who will say that their newer output isn't quite up to this standard. And sometimes I agree Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so, I mean, you can say that about any band too. Really? I mean, yeah. um, it's it's. I think a lot of a lot of the time, bands or artists, not just bands, but mm-hmm. artists too. I mean, I think Bob Dylan hit his peak in about 1976, and because sort of the- I'm a big fan of of his stuff in the mid 60s, when everyone was yelling at him to get off the stage because he went electric. That's kind of my favorite yeah. period. <laughs> well, I, 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 he finished his peak in the late seventies, is what I mean. Yeah, he he sort of had this trajectory, and then his eighties stuff was you know, not that great. He he was still um, writing good songs, but again, it was that eighties production that was thrust upon a a, a musician that really. So many bands that started in the sixties and seventies just had no business putting out albums in the eighties. I yeah. mean, they can still write, but they they just the sound did not fit. This is so many of them. Uh, yeah but yeah i know what you mean yeah um so you know it's hard to once you've written all your great songs yeah like how many songs how many great songs does one person have in in them really depends you know it's that spark some 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 bands will literally like wow apparently there was like a, a mark of like 65 or or 101 or something like that and after done yeah. that i i can't find a good song anymore and other ones, you know, till they drop dead, they're still putting out, even if it's not every song, they're still putting out good songs in like yeah. regularly. Um, so 
Let's get into the next one here. This is a song called Trip Through Your Wire. song that's what that would sound like <laughs> yeah in had, some ways yeah i was trying to figure 60s out 60s jangly yeah it's sort of it had a little bit of a, a a jangle pop sort of a a thing to it i was trying to pin what exactly that was you know kind of doing it, it had this like sort of almost like a ballady role but i wouldn't call it a ballad um yeah uh it's uh it was sort of interesting and again you can sort of it it's 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 kind of interesting to see how People don't really realize how flexible the band actually is, um, how many different styles they can sort of go on to, and yet they still sound like you too. Yeah. Um, well, I think about that song, uh, it's not on this album, but uh, the song Angel of Harlem. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a totally different song than like the, <laughs> the drums and the bass and that's it's basically a soul stacks motown kind of yeah. thing that we're doing but the way that the the drums and the bass groove like it doesn't sound like you too yeah um so it's just but the, but the vers- stuff on top of it does exactly yeah. and it just shows the versatility of this band yes and that they can wear many hats but it still sounds like you too mm-hmm. and uh but some but but you notice that uh the hits, I mean, other than some of the examples that we've shown. And, 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 you know, they've stepped away a couple of times. But when you think of a U2 hit, there seems to be the so- this sound that kind of really pegs what's successful for them. And sometimes that can be the death of a band. They become like a one-trick pony because yeah. they always have to chase that one sound. Um, I'm not saying U2 is. Um, well, they certainly weren't. Um, but... Uh, Oh, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it's just, uh, a band can have like this, uh, I mean, you still have your own sound um, that sort of just pegs through whatever style you, you can throw yourself into, really, I guess. Yeah, and it's not like it's a planned thing or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, that's just the way they play. Yeah, exactly. Uh yeah, so it, it, this is, I'm just realizing, like, what an interesting band U2 is. Yeah. Because it's, I've never really paid that much attention to them, other than the hits. Like, yeah, I, I, I like them, and I listen to their hits and whatever, but I never took this much of a deep dive into Oh, their... I know what I was going to say. I was going to say sometimes it takes a deeper dive into the albums to find out how versatile the band is. Yeah. There, the idea is finally gotten out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Yeah. ADD, the curse, <laughs> <laughs> and a blessing sometimes. Yeah, occasionally. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we've got two songs left. So I'm curious how the this album um, runs out, how it goes to the end. Uh, so the second last song is called "One Tree Hill." Here we go.
Now that had the potential to be my favorite song on the album, but let me tell you why it's not. Okay. I like I like songs that have that that jumping sort of rhythm with the like the way that the synthesizer was doing it and the I I think throughout the whole song it was it stayed on the A chord and then for the chorus it went to the G and the D and then stayed on the A. I, I like those changes and I like when I like when this the, I like when there's subtle chord changes like that when it most of the song stays on one chord and then it change I like that yeah and so all of that works together but I think the instrumentation for the rhythm of the song and those changes I think it was too sparse they they I really th- were uh, they I think that sort of intentional fit with the album though but I think yeah, yeah I know what you mean it, it sometimes um. Especially on an album that's full of so much space, sometimes it's nice to break it up with a few more notes here and there. Maybe yeah, I I thought I thought there could have they could have added a few more instruments. I thought they could have filled the sound out a little bit more. I I thought I think there was just too much room in a song in this song for for that rhythm and that. I just I just wish that if they were going to do something like that, I wish they just went for it a hundred percent. Rather than just mm. you know, yeah, it might have uh, been more of a. Yeah, it might have been another hit on this album. Yeah, could have been kind of neat. Um, I kind of liked how they threw in like a sort of I don't know if it was a cello, but it sounded like a cello, and then they added the I- I- instrumentation. But the fact that the cello it sounded almost normal for a bit, and then it started getting you know uh, altered through some sort of I I don't know phase shifter through or something and i don't know whether they got uh, a cellist in to record it and then played with his track or whether that's the edge messing around with a new instrument or doing something weird with his guitar i don't know i've heard people do any of them wouldn't surprise me but i also like that when that sound started like further on in the song when that that sound started to build up and you thought it might have been that cello coming in again, and then you realize, no, that's like a, a really clipping distortion on a guitar. And then it, it sort of turns into like this, you know, really raunchy sort of uh, guitar riff that kind of carries out into their, you know, um, false stop before their... And the false stop was also really interesting. And then he sort of finishes it off with like a an extra PS or something on the end. It's kind of neat. So yeah, there's a lot yeah, going no. on in that song that was really good. So there was, there was, yeah, and that's why I said it, this had the potential to be my favorite al- favorite song on the album. If it if they had just gone for it a hundred percent, it would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I just think, and it, they didn't they didn't necessarily even have to add anything else. I think it just could be mixed differently. Maybe um, it'd be sort of interesting to get the the mixes and see what's hiding in there. Uh, the masters, I mean, get get the masters yeah. and and sort of play with it, and move up a few faders. See if there's something hiding in there. Oh, that's cool. That should have been yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. But I just, I think it was just too quiet, and there was just too much. There was too much room that could have been filled out on a song like this. Whereas a song like, uh, oh, can't remember the name of it, um, with or without you. Yeah, that's a song that calls for a lot of space. Whereas mm-hmm. I don't think this one necessarily does. Yeah. I I don't know whether it was the band or or if it was like Brian Eno, whatever, whoever's decision that was 
it was probably to fit with the rest of the i mean it's it, again it's not a concept album but it's definitely got a a theme or or a character and i think they wanted mm-hmm. it to fit the character and i guess maybe it does i think they they, they probably could have done a little bit more with it and it probably still would have fit the character i mean there's a few songs in there that that sort of broke away a little bit but they again they still carried that space mm-hmm. um i don't think there's anything on this album that doesn't have that space there's still one song to go so we'll see that's true <laughs> that's true and that's a good segue to the next song which next is the song. last song it's called and exit ap- appropriately it's the last song which yeah. is a appropriate title yes so uh last song in the album exit another song it's just not showing up here that's weird but yeah that's weird um but that was an interesting song Mm -hmm. um very different from the rest of the album again but still lots Uh, of space still lots of space it's apparently it's a a song about uh being in the mind of a serial killer huh i didn't quite catch that listening but but it it still it makes sense Mm -hmm. um this this it, it, it this song definitely has a spooky kind of yeah vibe to it. I I almost um it almost reminds me of like Nick Cave or something like that mm. where it's it's that dark kind of yeah you know spacey spooky kind of unknown territory kind of thing yeah um especially the uh, the night sounds with the the crickets and all that um yeah I thought very interesting song. It's, it, I was listening to that song, and, and another thought just sort of came to me. This is how my brain works. Anyway, <laughs> bands like U2 and, and a lot of the bands that sort of came out after them, such as like uh, Muse and, and Radiohead, he's sort of, it, it's almost like, they're almost like jam bands in a, in a UK sense. Like, you can listen to, like, the Allman Brothers and, and like, the uh, uh, Grateful Dead or something like that, where if they got a... They're jam bands, but they got this Americana to them, and Fish is no different, really. They, it's a little bit more of an updated version of pretty much sort of like the same uh, just a continuation of, of the tradition, really. Um, but uh, the UK sort of does sort of the same thing, but it comes off very different. And uh, they, they don't, they're not really considered jam bands, but maybe they kind of should be. But they just have this, it sounds nothing like you know, the Almond Brothers, but if you sit and listen to them, they could be a jam. They could take that sort of thing and take it places if they allowed themselves to just, you know, jam on it. And yeah. it's just a very, you know, I think it takes a certain amount of ears. I think a British or a UK audience, be it Irish, Scottish, whatever, Welsh, um, they'd probably be able to withstand it more than, say, uh, an American or Canadian, you know, North American audience generally would. Um, with some exceptions, of course. So this is just an overgeneralization. Um, whereas you know we have people who will follow the Grateful Dead over a cliff. Um, 
Yeah, I think uh, bands like you two have their followers that would probably do the same thing if 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 they you know did something like that. I don't know. This is just me speculating. It's just I get that vibe from them, and that last song really gave me that sort of a vibe of, of like a jam band that doesn't sound like a traditional jam band. But I heard other bands in it, and I just started thinking yeah, they could kind of do it's the same similar sort of thing that I never really quite got before, but I think I kind of get now. So that's just where. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, 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 it's, it's interesting that you say that cause I never really thought of that before, but yeah, you're right. I, the, and, and I got just, as you were saying that I got thinking like, are there any British jam bands, but I, th- I think they're it's not called much... jam bands if there are. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's a different kind of thing. But if there was, I think bands like this, you know, and, and again, I think uh, U2 and uh, um, oh, Muse, and I said Muse, uh, I said another one, Radiohead. Radiohead. Um, yeah, they kind of do that. They, they would fill that role mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And, Interesting. And occasionally, I, yeah, maybe, never... maybe in some shows, they actually do do that. I don't know. Um, it'd be kind of neat to find out. Yeah, and uh, like I, I said, I I got a lot of it reminded me because maybe I've been listening to him a lot. It reminded me a lot of Nick Cave, that yeah. sort of um, the darkness and yeah, and not when the you, band, the darkness, but the darkness. Yeah, of I know what the, you mean. Yeah, you know, yeah, the subject matter, the yeah. the overall even sound, the mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very gothy kind of vibe to it, mm-hmm. which. You, I don't, uh, so I've never associated you two with goth culture. But no, but there's almost like are. a, eh, I could, I could hear like uh, traces of like almost like a Trent Reznor thing going in there. Just that one track, just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Well, it, it's interesting you say that because I was going to say that uh, initially when we were talking about The Edge, he's an, he's another guy that uses technology yes. and um, things like that creatively. He doesn't use it like we were talking about like audio tune in that he, he doesn't use it uh, to correct things he uses it no in a to creative make more way. mistakes <laughs> yeah it's no I, yeah yeah but there's a certain amount of truth to that i'm not knocking it um yeah i actually which, prefer uh, it which actually that gets me into the whole other thing is the using auto tune to get that robot voice i I, i'm not a fan of that but i don't have a problem with that yeah i it, i my kind problem, of respect it I, I respect yeah. that more than than when it's used to uh, sanitize everything to the fact that you just polished all the personality out of something. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um. So uh, I forget what I was gonna say. So let's get this is uh, move into the, the third uh, song. I'm sorry. Did the, I did I talk over your your thoughts? <laughs> no. Uh, well, I kind of talked over my own thoughts. Um, <laughs> Hated when that happens. <laughs> so, uh, so I, it turns out I was actually wrong and that wasn't the last song. There's another so song. So this is the last song. Why it's is called, it not showing up? I don't know. I don't know. But cool. yeah, this, it, it is playing. I don't, it's just not listed. So this is the actual last song called Mothers of the Disappeared.
that song was like that that's all Brian Eno. <laughs> yeah, it's very Brian. <laughs> yeah. Although I was there's a few textures in there that I, I was a little surprised to hear. And one of them was like uh well there was a, like a keyboard sort of note sound. It sounded like well it sounded like my Farfisa on like a flute setting. It's just mm-hmm. the do 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 do. It just sounded like that. And and it's sort of interesting to hear like an instrument like that that would be, you know, considered ancient analog technology in the middle of 1987. It's a little, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad they did it. I don't know how they did it exactly, but yeah. Well, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Farfisa on that setting. I mean, you got to think like Brian, you know, came from that, you know, with Roxy music, he was, you know, a child of the sixties and grew up with those sounds. So It, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that's exactly what that is. But yeah, and he certainly didn't shy away from the th- stuff that came after, though, either. So Yeah. No, yeah. that's for sure. Um, I think, actually, you know, this song actually does have the feel of... It's interesting that... I, I don't know if... because It's because you mentioned it, but this actually does feel like a hidden track. Um, yeah. But uh, it's not. But it, it doesn't... Um, it it really doesn't fit with the rest of the album, but it still works as an album closer. Mm-hmm. Um, still lots of space. <laughs> still lots of space. Yep. A lot of ethereal kind yes. of. It reminds me of uh, like a CD you would. This is. I don't mean this in a bad way, but it reminds me of a CD you would buy at the airport of like sounds you would fall asleep to. Um, well, it's funny because uh, Brian Nito's got that song. For, uh, songs for airports album which is basically just experimental could i guess you could call it music like in the basic sense but really it's sounds yeah he he he, and and i i sort of get it i think it'd be stuff like that would be very popular now on like you know those like asmr sort of channels or or you know liminal spaces or something you know showing like video clips of basically an empty space just watching whatever going on in the background or something like that playing this music and, and and people would be like oh yeah i'm into that vibe apparently people hated it when they actually played it in an airport people much mm-hmm. preferred you know the music that they would play in airports in general um that's the difference between people and and you got to do something i mean if people are going to hang out in a place like like an airport or a shopping mall or something like that I could definitely see where playing a bunch of random noises is just going to chase a lot, a lot of people out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I got to say, it probably wouldn't even like vibe with me uh, every day I went in there. Some days I might be into it. Other days I'd be like, oh, I'm what the yeah, hell working I? there would be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be happy. Getting back to the uh, what isn't a piece of crap is this album. Um, and so what 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 are your f- final thoughts of the uh, uh overall uh, album i i get why it's a classic mm-hmm. um i i actually really do there's uh it's it's a especially uh, i mean the first three songs you put those on and you, you just go well this is obviously a classic album there's three hits on it and i haven't even gotten to the fourth track mm-hmm. and then but the rest of it 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 fills in the gaps and there's still a lot of really hot high notes and you get to really hear the band do things that Again, you don't generally hear them do. Um, kind of a shame, really. Um, it'd be nice if everybody 
you know, the general public had had more of like a perception of what the band was actually capable of doing, and instead of expecting, you know, the one trick that they expect of the band, um, or the few yeah. tricks, because they're not just one trick, obviously. Yeah, what, like uh, what I can definitely see is I. Uh, having listened to this album now it's it's obvious why this band has such loyal fans mm-hmm. i can see like i i'm not i don't think i'm uh u2 is ever going to be my favorite band yeah. but i can see why they would be somebody's favorite band absolutely yeah absolutely yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah okay cool so that in a nutshell is u2's joshua tree it's and a our take nutshell. our initial <laughs> Initial reaction to each track on uh, Josh. I guess it wasn't really a review because we didn't go too deep into the lyrics and, and all that. But this was our, I guess, initial reaction to this album. So if you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Uh, hopefully at some point you will be able to get this podcast on all the usual places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and all that. We'll try um, that out at some point. You can, um, if you want to support the show, uh, this, uh, I want to make it clear that this show will always, 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 always be free. But if you do feel so inclined to help out the show, you can, uh, support us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash polyphonic press. And, um, that's about it. Unless you had anything else to add. No, just look for the big orange uh, block with a little white T. Exactly. And uh, on that note, I'm Jeremy Boyd. I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy. You have been listening to Polyphonic Press. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Polyphonic Press. Check out the website, polyphonicpress.com. Feel free to drop us a line at polyphonicpressmusic at gmail.com. And finally, you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash polyphonicpress. 